This week, uh, we're moving on. We're covering uh, an infestation of, of insects, uh, a pandemic disease of the livestock, and then uh, uh, boils. So a lot of fun there, right? And so uh, why don't we just get started by turning with me to Exodus chapter 8, verse 20. Exodus 8, verse 20. Now the Lord said to Moses, Rise early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh as he comes out to the water and say to him, Thus saith the Lord, Let my people go that they may serve me. For if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send a swarm of insects on you and on your servants and on your people and, on, and into your houses and the houses of the Egyptians shall be full of swarms of insects and also the ground on which they dwell. But on that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen where my people are living so that no swarms of insects will be there in order that you may know that I, the Lord, am in the midst of the land. And I will put a division between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign shall occur. Then the Lord did so. And there came great swarms of insects into the house of Pharaoh and the houses of the servants. And the land was laid waste because of the swarms of insects in all the land of Egypt. <clears throat> so here we see a, well, first we see that uh, it, this uh, particular plague follows kind of the same pattern that we see for the very first plague of the Nile turning to blood. That is, God instructs uh, Moses to go to Pharaoh very early in the morning when Pharaoh's getting up and going out to, to the water. This is probably Pharaoh's quiet time, right? Kind of like us. It's our time of getting ourselves together, getting, us, getting ourselves prepared. He's probably, like hopefully most of us, are spending some time in devotional worship. Unfortunately, not of the right gods, but Pharaoh's still getting himself ready for the day. And who do you think the last person in the world he wants to see this morning? That would be Moses, because Moses is only a bearer of bad news to him. But Moses gets in there, as God has told him, and, and proclaims uh, his demands on Pharaoh. This is no new demand, right? He's been very clear about it. Let my people go so that they may serve me. This has been the ongoing demand made uh, to, to, to Pharaoh. And he adds, of course, an or else. If you don't let my people go, then there's going to be swarms of insects. And so here, we usually think of flies. I think that's usually the way it's been portrayed, probably in the, what was the big movie, The Ten Commandments, right? I think it was flies. Uh, it's in a lot of our Bibles. But actually, uh, the Hebrew word is, is insects. And in fact, we think they were biting insects. Uh, Psalm uh, 78, 45 uh, says that God uh, sent a swarm of flies that devoured them, indicating stinging or, or biting insects. It could very well be uh, what they called a dog fly, which was a blood sucker there in uh, the, uh, the, the Nile region. So these are vicious bugs. And I, you know, I think probably all of us have experienced something, not at this intensity, but we've experienced swarms, right, before where, uh, like my case, I can remember a case where I went on a camping trip with my son, Austin, and uh, we went up to Moab, you know, it was really hot and everything. We thought, ah, oh, it'd be great to go down and uh, camp along the Colorado River. Cool water, we can jump in the river and cool off. So we went down there, we set up our tent during the middle of the day when it was hot, and then we ran off and we're playing and doing some other stuff. 
We get back around six or seven. Whew, the mosquitoes were, I mean, as thick as you can imagine. And I mean, it was 100 degrees still, but those mosquitoes were so bad, we put on every bit of clothes we had, you know, thick pants. We pulled big sweaters over, pulled them over our heads. We put gloves on because those mosquitoes were just so bad. But as bad as that experience and probably anything that y'all have experienced, and I've been in the jungles of Peru, I'm sure this was nothing like what Austin and I had experienced. Uh, I met um, the uh, Moses, uh, basically the word here in Hebrew for these swarms is they were heavy. I mean, that's not a word we usually associate with bugs, right? We don't put heavy in there, but that gives you the idea of just how dense these swarms were. They were all over, they covered the grounds. I mean, this was epic. This is nothing like any of us have uh, ever experienced. And the thing that you'll notice here is we go through these next three uh, plagues is the intensity and the destructiveness and the impact on the very health of uh, the Egyptians is growing with each uh, uh, plague. It's getting worse. Uh, the first three, they were just kind of a warm-up. They were a nuisance. They were terrible, but they were basically a nuisance. They weren't as destructive. They weren't uh, deadly to the people quite yet. Uh, the first one, you know, it was just turning the, the water to blood. It stunk. It was, uh, it was not, you know, it, it, it was a nuisance in that the people had to find another source of water. But they were able to dig around uh, the, the Nile and get groundwater that was fresh, and they were able to drink water. So it wasn't, you know, a real threat to their health. The frogs, the gnats, and, you know, we all know gnats. We get gnats around here. They, you know, it just takes two or three to really frustrate you, right? But... They're a frustration, they're a nuisance, they're not so much a health issue, not like stinging and biting bugs that carry disease as we have here. And um, it's also important to note here that, you know, nobody was spared, or at least of the Egyptians, particularly Pharaoh. You know, Moses calls out, just make sure you understand, Pharaoh, you won't escape these bugs either. It's going to be in your house. It's going to be in your servant's house. They're going to afflict you and all of the peoples. So this was a wide uh, impacting plague. But what's really important here to see is now God makes a distinction. God makes a distinction between my people or his God's people and your people, Pharaoh's people, right? In these five verses, it's really clear. He says, my people, God says my people four times, and he refers to your people twice. And so he's making this distinction. And here the distinction is, is that the Israelites will no longer suffer along with all the Egyptians. Up to this point, the, you know, the kind of nuisance plagues, the Israelites had to suffer along with everyone. Now when the stakes are raising, God sets this division um, between his people and the Egyptians, and only the Egyptians are suffering now. God kind of creates, if you will, a, a wall around Goshen to protect his people. And so, you know, this, this, you know, quite a wonder in of itself. You have these huge swarms, and all of a sudden you get to a wall, if you will, and there's no more bugs. It kind of reminds me, and I'm showing my age here, so 
I got a lot of blank stares at, at first service, but do you remember the old off commercials where they had the, you know, they'd set up the aquarium full of the, the bugs and the guy would stick his hand in there? It's kind of like this, but in reverse, right? Just how that could happen. But exactly, I mean, this is a wonder. This is a sign from God, and, he, and it's playing out here for the people. And we see just as the stakes raise, God makes that distinction and protects his people while still condemning and punishing uh, the Egyptians. And here we read that God set a division between my people and your people. But actually, literally, in the Hebrew, what, is, what he said is, I will set a redemption between my people and your people. Redemption being the purchase price for freedom, the ransom payment for a slave. So here we had uh, the Israelites. They were in captivity. They were slaves to the Egyptians, right? And they had no way of paying for their freedom. So God steps in, and with his power and his might, he, was, he brought the most powerful nation in the world at that time, probably the world had ever seen, to their knees and made them release uh, uh, his, his people. And so God was paying this price for his people. So um, this kind of, though, begs the question, I mean, we all know why, but why did God choose Israel over Egypt? It certainly wasn't because the Israelites were all that much better. I mean, we know as you watch them as they evolve out in the desert, there is, there is rebellious and idolatrous as, as the Egyptians ever were, right? But uh, Deuteronomy uh, 7, 9 actually tells us why God chose the Israelites and why he's protecting them here. Know that therefore the Lord your God, oh, nope, 7, 7, 7. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you, were any, uh, because you were more in number than any of the peoples, for you were fewest of all people. But because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers, the Lord brought, bought you and brought, uh, brought you out by a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. So it wasn't because the Israelites were you know, any better than anyone else. It was because God had made his covenant with those people. Because of his covenant, God is true to and faithful to his covenant. So God has likewise set a redemption with us if we will simply reach out and accept it through his uh, son, Jesus Christ, uh, through his one and only son, who he ransomed through his blood, through his death, to free us from our bondage of sin. This was a price that we could never pay on our own, no matter how good we were. But Christ paid that price for us. And all that is asked for us is that we serve him, just like what God is asking of his people uh, at, uh, you know, for the release of his people. Also, you know, if you don't know Christ and you've not made him your Lord and Savior, then you're probably no, well, not probably, you are no better than Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And like them, you will continue to be a slave to sin and eventually face the condemnation that that sin brings with it. So, um, however, when we make that choice, when we decide to follow God, when we accept him and follow his commands, there is no compromise. It is God's way or the highway, as we read here in Exodus chapter 8, verse 25. 
And Pharaoh called out for Moses and Aaron and said, Go sacrifice to your God within the land. But Moses said, It is not right to do so, for we shall sacrifice to the Lord our God what is an abomination to the Egyptians. If we sacrifice what is an abomination to the Egyptians before their eyes, will they not stone us? We must go a three days journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he commands us. And Pharaoh said, I will let you go that you may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only you shall not go very far away. Make supplication for me. Then Moses said, Behold, I am going out from you, and I shall make supplication to the Lord that the swarms of insects may depart from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people tomorrow. Only do not let Pharaoh deal deceitfully again in not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and made supplication to the Lord. And the Lord did as Moses asked and removed the swarms of insects from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people. Not one remained. But Pharaoh hardened his heart at this time also, and he did not let his people go. So, again, here we see this plague starts out like almost any other. We see God sending Moses into uh, Pharaoh again. He makes the same command, let my people go. Oh, I'm sorry, I got ahead of myself. Here we see that this plague really impacted Pharaoh, right? It's kind of rocking his life, as you might expect. You know, these thick swarms, these heavy swarms of bugs biting on him day and night no, with no retreat, no rest from that. And now kind of the tables are turned. Pharaoh says, I can't take this anymore, and calls Moses in and says, hey, I need your help. In fact, things are looking pretty good. It seems like Pharaoh's finally ready to deal. He's broken, right? And um, so... Things are looking like, you know, he's, he's ready to let the people go. Well, not quite let them go. He's finally letting, willing to let them leave and go and make some sacrifices. But don't leave the land. You've got to stay in Egypt. And um, so this is kind of the, well, this is the limitation. This is the deal that uh, 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 Moses, I met Pharaoh, is trying to strike with Moses or more like or more specifically with God uh, however Moses realizes this he realizes you know this this limitation that uh, Pharaoh has tried to put on uh, the people going out and Moses realizes that he can't accept this offer Moses realized that when God makes a command there is no compromise there is no compromise he has to follow God's word perfectly and, you know, what Pharaoh's trying to do here is, you know, keep full control over his people. And so, to Moses' credit, he pushes back. He says, no, I can't accept that. I'm not going to, you know, take or, you know, pray to God that uh, this be taken away. Um, and it's kind of interesting here, though, that, you know, the excuse, well, the reason that Moses gives to Pharaoh for not uh, uh saying that, you know, it's okay if we just go out and stay in the land, but rather we have to do exactly what God says. No, God doesn't say that. I meant Moses doesn't say that. What he says is that uh, you're not going to approve of what we're about to do. You don't want us to stay in the land and you be able to see us offer our sacrifices. It will 
you won't like it. And the, one of the big reasons they won't like it is because the cattle, the livestock that they would be sacrificing, the Israelites, is sacred to the people. And so uh, this would be, you know, a really an affront to the Egyptians. In fact, uh, the commentator Riken that I was looking through here kind of gives a nice, uh, uh, helps us to understand what's going on here a little bit, that sacrificing bulls among the Egyptians would be like holding a pig roast at a synagogue or cooking burgers in front of a Hindu temple. It's just something you wouldn't do because, you know, these are sacred to the Egyptians. They would not understand this. They wouldn't be accepting of it. So while that is all true, what Moses is saying is true, it's not the reason. It's not the reason that uh, he can't accept this, right? The reason is that it's not what God told him. God said, I want you to go out into the wilderness, a three days journey. I'm not wanting you to stay in Egypt. And so Pharaoh's offer was unacceptable on that basis only. And, you know, I think it's important that we don't fall kind of in the same trap of Moses here. Is that, you know, sometimes, you know, we're challenged to compromise God's commands, right? We should be more tolerant to other views or we should accept, you know, everyone has the right to make up their own mind and decide what's right or wrong. We hear that all the time. And so many times we'll try to argue with them from, you know, kind of physical reasons of why, you know, abortion or, you know, other issues are wrong. When all we've got to say is God said it's wrong. And that's the only reason it has to be wrong. And if you stop and think about it, it's kind of the same here. They're not going to get it. Just like the Egyptians didn't understand sacrifice of bulls because they don't understand God, they're not going to understand our our arguments. So just leave it at, you know, God said so. So sometimes, most of the time, I think that's where we just need to leave it. So a good example for us, uh, I think, there. So if it wasn't the sacrifice itself, wasn't the problem, what was the real problem? As I've already said, is that uh, the real issue was uh, that God told them, I need you to go out into the desert. And so what is Pharaoh trying to do here? Pharaoh is trying to, again, keep control. God is trying to get control. Pharaoh is wanting to keep control. He's trying to say, sure, you can go out, you can do your sacrifices, but it has to be at a place that I tell you. It has to be for a period of time, and then you've got to return. In other words, he's not willing to yield any of his control over the people at all. He wants to exercise control at all times. But God has called his people to serve him. And so, you know, it's no different today. When we come to, ser when we come to serve God, it is on his terms and his terms only. We can't pick and choose which commands uh, we follow or apply to our lives today. We must render full control to God. To partially serve the Lord is not to serve him, but ourselves. And that's where we see that uh, Pharaoh is getting tripped up. So we recognize that, you know, or, or Pharaoh here is recognizing that, you know, he doesn't have a lot of leverage or really no leverage whatsoever, but he's still trying to work out a deal. And so he goes the next step and he says, okay, okay, you can go out into the desert, uh, 
just take your people, uh, but, but don't go too far. It's kind of interesting, though, that you know, Moses is willing to accept this. It's not full capitulation to God's terms, but you know, the terms here aren't being you know, defined very carefully, so you know, Moses can kind of do what he wants, right? Or, and so, but he's also pretty well aware that you know, uh, Pharaoh's not going to stick by his word. He's, he's, he's going to go back on his word. And so, uh, in fact, we can see that because he warns Pharaoh, don't renege on, on your contract with me. Um, so Moses goes ahead, goes, prays to God, and then all the bugs are gone, right? All the bugs. Um, but not too unexpected, Pharaoh, as we expect, hardens his heart again and refuses to let the people go. So what happens next? I think you can kind of guess. Another plague, right? So, picking up in uh, chapter 9, verses 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and speak to him. Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go and continue to hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will come with a very severe pestilence on your livestock, which are in the field, and on the horses, and on the donkey, on the camels, on the herds, and on the flocks. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt so that nothing will die of all that belongs to the son of Israel. And the Lord set a definite time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. So the Lord did this thing on the morrow, and all the livestock of Egypt died. But of the livestock of the sons of Israel, not one died. And Pharaoh sent, and behold, there was not even one of the livestock of Israel dead. But the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. <coughs> So here again, we see God issuing a command to Pharaoh, but this time extra emphasis is given to God and his name here. God uses and addresses Pharaoh with his special name, the name that God had revealed back at the burning bush, right? Yahweh, the great I am, the Lord God of the Hebrews. So he's just making Pharaoh aware exactly who he's dealing with one more time. It's the great I am. And again, the threat uh, is, uh, there's a threat issued for non-compliance of letting his people go. This time, the plague will affect the livestock in the field. So it'd be all the animals out in the fields. And here, you know, as a Westerner, I would have thought, oh, wow, this is a big attack on their food, you know, that they're going to, you know, this would be a big hardship because of food. Well, no, it's not. They don't eat the livestock. The livestock are sacred to them. But this is a big economic impact on the people. You know, the, the livestock is used for, you know, preparing the fields and, you know, for their agriculture, particularly for transportation to moving people and, 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 and goods and stuff around in carts. So uh, the, the livestock was very important. And... Uh, Again, this distinction is made between the Israelites and the Egyptians. The Israelites will not lose any of their livestock. The Egyptians will. And so this is a way God is basically saying that uh, if Pharaoh won't release God's property, my property, then, God, then I will take Pharaoh's property. And so that's exactly what we see here happening. And again, this idea of, of, of the, the intensity of the uh, the plague is heavy, you know, it's, it's again, 
something that is having a very significant impact, very damaging to the people of, of Egypt. So uh, God doesn't stop with simply proclaiming his name as being, you know, I am. He puts emphasis there, but then he says, behold. So Pharaoh, I need your real attention here because now I'm talking about the hand of God. Okay, he says, now I'm bringing out the hand of God. And usually when you hear that, you should shudder. But here, it's actually even used in a very strategic way. If you are here a few weeks ago, uh, Frank explained that this idea of hand of God uh, is an idiom or a phrase that the Egyptians would use when referring to their little gods, little g-gods, right? In the fact of their ability to protect and to heal and to prosper the Egyptians. They called on the hand of their gods. God is saying here, now you're going to see the hand, the real hand of capital G God, the I am God. So he's putting a lot of emphasis on who God is. And so, in fact, this is all part of God's plan that uh, as we read in Numbers 33:4, God is not just putting his attack on the Egyptians, but on their gods also, the Lord executed judgment. So God is executing judgment on the gods of Egypt just as well. And while in some sense, all the different plagues attack a, either a particular god, like in the case of the Nile or the sun god or flies, they had a god to the flies, as, as we're speaking of here, the, the, the livestock, all of these were worshipped gods. So either the he was, God strategically was attacking them to show his power over their gods, but also he was attacking the, the gods that were supposed to be protecting them and supposed to be healing them. So God sent diseases and other impacts and damages on them for which, again, their gods could not stand against the real God, the one and only God. So here, God's attack is on uh, their gods. And I think even more here, uh, you know, God's really kind of hammering this point here. But if you remember back to the third plague where, you know, the, the magicians, you know, up until that point had been able to replicate some of the the, the plagues. He'd been able to bring blood in the water and uh, uh, pull the, the, the frogs out of the water and kind of replicate some of the, the plagues, the, the, the snake on the ground, if you remember. And so they were able to replicate. They weren't able to control the situation, but they were able to replicate it. But by the third plague, they gave up. They couldn't replicate the gnats. And they said, this must be the finger of God. I think God, again, is playing kind of on this term and saying, you, saw, you think the finger, now I'm giving you the hand. You know, this is the hand of God. And, in, in, and we need to realize that this is the hand of God. These are not just mere uh, uh, natural events. Uh, in fact, you know, a lot of the, the, the commentaries and you, you read in places about the plagues that you can that people will try to explain them from a natural perspective that, you know, the, 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 the river flooded and uh, because of the flood stage, it brought in red sediment and then, you know, that killed the fish, which brought on the frogs and then the dying heaps of frogs brought on the gnats and, 
flies and, you know, they brought disease, which are the boils and stuff. No, this is the hand of God. And we know that because the intensity of these, these plagues is only part of it. So the intensity is well beyond anything that we've ever experienced worldwide. So the intensity was great. The other important thing to notice about all of these plagues is that God predicted them and then he controlled when the plague began. He either said, tomorrow morning, the plague's coming, or you're going to find your cattle dead. Or, uh, you know, he had Moses slap the ground with his, his, his rod and the gnats were formed. God controlled when it started. Beyond that, he also, in many cases, said when the plague would be ended, just like with the flies. He prayed, flies were gone the next day. I mean, all of them. And so these are all signs and that this, these are miracles. And even beyond that now, God is starting to distinguish his people from the Egyptians. And so now the Israelites in none of the, 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 the remaining six plagues that are growing in, in, in damage and, and, and health issues are affecting his people, only the Egyptians. So for all of these reasons, these are great events. These are the hand of God. They cannot be explained any other way. So why is this so important, though? Why here, maybe uh, in this particular case, is, is, is God, you know, portraying himself, you know, you know, putting such emphasis on him and his hand? Again, it gets back to the gods, right? I meant the cows were the sacred God. And I think here God is making this special emphasis that I am God. This is my hand. You can't explain this any other way. And, you know, even your gods cannot stand before me. And so why? Why is this so important? Why is God kind of hammering this point home? And it's because... Uh, his purpose here with the plagues, all the plagues, is, is certainly to win the salvation, the, the rescue of his people from enslavement to the Egyptians. That's obvious, and that's part of what God is doing here. But the bigger picture is something much more important than that. And that is, and he, God kind of bangs this point home many times throughout uh, the plagues. He, he says, the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, chapter 7, verse 4. By this you shall know that I am the Lord, chapter 7, verse 17, in order that you may know that I, the Lord, am in the midst of the land, chapter 8, verse 22, so that you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth, chapter 9, verse 14. Now I made a mockery of the Egyptians and how I and how I perform my signs among them, that you may know that I am the Lord, chapter 10, verse 2. You get the idea? God is making himself known. That is what these plagues are about. He wants everyone to know, not only the Egyptians, but the Hebrews, the whole world. I am God. There are no other gods before me. But you know, as great of this sign and all of these plagues you think wow you know I get it God but it's not too far down the road that the Israelites rebel against the God of their salvation and what do they do they return to the Egyptian gods the 
worship the golden calf. Does that make sense at all? But on the other hand, do we really get this point? Do we really know him as Lord in the context of these plagues, how he has control over all aspects of nature and all of our lives and considering the salvation that he has brought down to us through his son? I mean, the question almost seems silly. Do we know God and his power? Yet how many golden calves do we continue to worship in our lives? How often do we depend on the hand of the little gods, right? Then really it's the hand of God that's right there wanting to rescue us. Or maybe even worse, God has brought about all kinds of challenges in your life, yet you've hardened your heart like Pharaoh against all good sense, against God, and you're unwilling to give over anything. Where do you stand? Do we really know God? Do we really accept who God is, the great I am? So, but even with all of this, we see Pharaoh hardens his heart against God. So, one more plague, starting, picking up chapter 9, verse 8. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take for yourselves handfuls of soot from a kiln, and let Moses throw it toward the sky in the sight of Pharaoh, and it will become fine dust over all the land of Egypt, and will become boils breaking out with sores on man and beast through all the land of Egypt. So they took soot from the kiln and stood before Pharaoh, and Moses threw it toward the sky, and it became boils breaking out in sores on man and beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils were on the magicians as well as all the Egyptians. And the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not listen to them, just as the Lord had spoken to Moses. So here we see a little change, right, in the order and how the plague kind of plays out. Whereas, you know, the other cases we saw God sending Moses and warning Pharaoh and saying, let my people go. There's none of that. Now, we, we see this kind of same thing happening for the third uh, plague with the gnats, where God just had uh, Moses strike the ground and the gnats, you know, came up. In this case, same way. No threat. No, let my people go. He just, in the side of Mo, uh, Pharaoh, he throws the soot up in the air, so, and the plague is initiated. And it's a little ironic, not that it wasn't fully planned, but a little ironic here is that why God would choose to have Moses and Aaron use the soot from the kilns. And as you might imagine, what were these kilns actually probably used for? Baking of the bricks, right? Baking of the bricks which symbolized all the pain and suffering and enslavement that uh, the Egyptians had put on the Israelites. So it was you know, the symbol of their, their stress. And so God is using that, that what was you know, a plague on the people of Israel is now being turned against them and is now a sign of the boils and the suffering of the Egyptians. So God is making, again, a very strong point here about his, uh, his uh, bringing his people out. And again, the affliction is just on the Egyptians. It is not on the Israelites. And again, we see the, 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 the plagues are ratcheting up. They're getting more and more intense. You know, the, 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 the stinging bugs and then 
you know, the impact on their economy with the loss of their livestock. Now it's getting personal. It's really, you know, the, the, the health of the Egyptians itself. And just to give you an idea of how intense these boils were, in Deuteronomy chapter 28, Moses warns the Israelites not to, uh, if they don't follow God's law, the Lord will strike you with the boils of Egypt and the tumors and scabs and itch of which you cannot be healed from the sole of your foot to the crown of your head. That does not sound enjoyable at all. This was nasty. It was bad as you might expect here. And so we are talking about, you know, a heavy price uh, the Egyptians are paying. And again, God's separating his people from that suffering. And kind of the other interesting thing about this particular plague is that we hear the magicians mentioned again. We haven't heard them for quite a while, right? First couple of uh, plagues, they were riding pretty high at least. They kind of thought, you know, they'd been able to replicate some of these, you know, the blood and the water and the frogs from the water. They'd been able to replicate some of those, you know. Now, they couldn't get rid of them, but they could at least replicate them. But by the third plague, they tapped out. They couldn't keep up with God anymore, of course. And they were totally silent through these last two. But apparently, they had been standing with Moses through all this period of time. Now, they can't even stand before Moses anymore. And again, this you know, is, has a little bit deeper meaning as you dig into it a little bit, because these magicians were, I mean, they weren't just magicians. They were you know, the intelligentsia, if you will, of, of, of the Egyptians. They were the people that you know, uh, Pharaoh went to for answers. But more importantly, in this case, they were also the priests of the, the religious sect. They were the ones responsible for doing the religious rites to going before and offering, you know, the sacrifices and, and, and demand or request before the gods. But here they had been incapacitated both from the sense of the pain that they, they're incapacitated to, but also the fact that they are unclean. The scabs would not have made them in a position where they could really go before their gods and offer sacrifices. So God has basically cut them completely off from their gods, not that it makes any difference, but again, God keeps making these statements, keeps attacking their gods, just to make it very clear that it is the hand of the one God, the real I am. So, and I think this also kind of provides a reminder to us that no one wields any power except that granted by God. So here, you know, the... the the, even though they kind of relented and, and realized it was the finger of God that they couldn't keep pace with God. But, you know, to begin with, they were trying to claim that, you know, we could replicate, you know, we had some special power. And how often do we, you know, kind of fall into the same uh, trap? You know, God has blessed us with all kinds of, 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 of capabilities, of skills, of of, of uh, you know, the ability to do certain things, whether doctors or engineers or singing or, or athletics or selling or whatever it is that God has blessed you with. He's blessed you with those capabilities and those capabilities are, are to be used to bring glory to him. But when we, kind of like the, the, the magicians, try to or don't try to turn the glory to God and recognize God, uh, that we're in danger. And 
But how do we give God that glory? Do we have a plan when, when we are praised, when we are encouraged, when we are appreciated to realize and recognize and try as best as we can to turn that appreciation and that honoring in a sincere way back to God? So just something to keep in mind and a good uh, uh, example for us. But however, I, I feel the real story here is Pharaoh's heart condition. Even after his gods have been humiliated, even after his people have been driven to their knees in pain and suffering, yet he's totally unwilling to relent. He's, his heart is completely hardened. And uh, if you go back and look carefully at each of the five preceding cases, we see that uh, Pharaoh's heart remained hardened. He hardened his heart or the heart of Pharaoh was hardened. In other words, Sounds like, you know, Pharaoh was kind of in control of his heart to a certain extent. It was just, you know, Pharaoh's obstinance that kept making his heart hard and unrelenting. And in fact, it's kind of interesting if you dig into uh, the terms that are used to explain, you know, the heaviness or hardness of the plagues that God was bringing down on the Egyptians. They use those words uh, in a Hebrew context is kind is correlates with the kinds of words that are used for the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. So you get this idea of these two forces just banging heads against each other. One's a hardened heart, the other is these hardened plagues trying to break his heart, but they, but they don't. And so obviously, but for the first time here, we see that the Lord is hardening Pharaoh's heart just as he promised to do way back in chapter 4. So I'm going to leave the God-hardening heart part to Mike for next week for you. That's a much harder subject, I think. And I'll, I'll talk just a little bit and want to end here with Pharaoh's hardening of his own heart, if you will. And certainly, you know, God and Pharaoh working on the heart, you know, there's part of that. But I do believe there's a part of which Pharaoh himself is getting himself into this own problem. And the reason I say that is we get into that problem at times, right? We begin, we can harden our hearts. And it's kind of an easy thing to happen. And just like with Pharaoh, you know, it's the kind of life marching of, of all of the, the moral choices he makes. You know, each choice kind of builds on the other. And over time, he gets kind of set in his ways. It reca re recalcitrant, that again, is a word held for uh, uh, that described uh, Pharaoh's heart. It became just hardened to the point of no return, dismissive of any of the demands being placed on him and, and, and the harm that he is causing. He just has dug in his heels, right? And um, the commentator, you know, and, and I think this has application to our lives, right? If we're not careful, sometimes even when we're not aware of it, we can be digging our heels in and hardening our heart and, and the commentator, J.A. Motoyer, uh, draws out an application that I think makes a lot of sense. Here, we are forcefully reminded that choices are the privilege and price of being human. Our privilege is that of being responsible beings, recognizing moral values, called to make responsible choices, and given the opportunity and obligation to live in the light of the foreseeable consequences of our actions. The price we pay is that every choice for good or ill goes to fashioning our character, and whether in the long or short term or both, 
makes us answerable to the judge of all the earth. So in other words, yes, that you know, we as human beings, we have this, God has allowed us choice. And with that choice comes a responsibility. And how we make those choices models and, and, and affects our overall character. But ultimately, we are to answer to God for our choices. And I think it's, uh, you know, this points out kind of the dangerous and insidious part of our human nature. And that is, it's kind of like the frog in the pot of boiling water or a pot of water that slowly gets hotter, right? And they don't, don't realize it and they never jump out. Or at least people say that. I've never tried this myself. I've never seen that experiment. But go with me there that they won't jump out. We're kind of the same way, right? And it's just like the hardening of the heart. You don't quite realize it with the choices that sometime you're making that harden your heart against God. And whether you shut God out entirely of your life, then it's really time to jump out of that boiling pot and accept Jesus Christ. Or however many of us, and I know myself, that there are parts of my heart that I've tried to close off to God and I try to keep hard and he keeps boiling the water around me a little bit to try and loosen that hardening up. Listen to him. You're not going to be any better off than Pharaoh. So that's our next three uh, 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 plagues, the, the insects, the disease, and the boils. Next week, get three more. So will you stand with me as we pray and close out? Dear Lord in heaven, thank you again for reminding us of just who you are, Lord, uh, that you are, and you alone are the great I am, Lord. Help us uh, to fully realize and accept that in our lives, Lord, and to treat you and to approach you as the great I am, Lord, to realize that there is no compromise, Lord, when we come before you, Lord, but we serve you under your, your commands, Lord. And Lord, we just pray that uh, you go with us, that you would loosen up our hearts, break out places that we're trying to harden against you, Lord. Help us to realize those, break those barriers down so that you have access to our full hearts, Lord. Go with us this week. Help us to make a difference for you. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.